0: Well, good evening. am glad that you guys all came here today. I hope, um, hope you guys came with ears to hear. I came with, uh, hopefully, words to say that come from the Lord. Um, today's lesson was kind of an interesting one. It just kind of, like Nick brought up, it came at a time that we actually experienced a lot of it. Um, many of you got to spend time at Jones Memorial um, last Friday, and then we heard the passing of uh, Dorothy on Monday. So I'm hoping that even through those things, as both Joan and Dorothy are now living a more full life than we ever existed and enjoyed here on earth, that they're experiencing in heaven, that um, tonight's lesson kind of gives us an understanding of what they're experiencing and what we as believers will get to experience. So our question tonight is question number 40. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at their death? And the answer, the soul of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Many people fear death. Poetry, movies, songs, um, all speak to people's fear and railing and raging against death. It's natural for the human spirit to fear death. We know that we deserve it, even if we can't openly explain why, but we understand that we should be afraid of it. Um, For the unsaved, it can mean the end of existence. Um, In their minds to being reincarnated into a butterfly or a tygon or some other amazing creature or simply a piece of grass. We know that both of those statements are not real, that nobody just ceases to exist at the moment of their death. We also know that people don't come back as something else, but there is a place um, that the human soul goes to. Thank you. I didn't know whose it was. Mm. <laughs> I didn't want to steal it. Joan's memorial was an interesting time. I sat here, and memorials are always a contemplative time for me. I think a lot about the people that we no longer get to see on this side of eternity, but know that we'll get to see it in, the, in a future time when we join them. Um, her memorial was much different than other memorials that I've went to because even though I know that Terry and the rest of Joan's family were sad at her passing, you couldn't help but see that people were joyful at the same time. Her son was cracking jokes like it was some sort of like dinner theater almost, and you could see that even through their tears of sadness at Joan's passing, that they had hope, they had joy because they knew where Joan was. She was no longer here with us. She was she was no longer trapped in this body that all of us know are, are susceptible to illness and sickness and death. They break down. Um, I'm 45, and I can tell you that I can start to feel that my body is no longer what it used to be when I was 25, and I can't do the same things. But we know that Joan is now in a place that is absent of all of those things that we experience, sin, death, pain, loss, anguish. She is, she is with her savior. In Psalms 116.15, it says that precious is the sight, precious in the sight of the Lord are his saints. And it talked about their passing, that their deaths were something that was precious to the Lord. And at first we might think that that sounds odd, But in actuality, if we think about it, it really is because it's for, for saints like us that are saved. It is us heading home to our father. We are not here anymore. Now, our our people around here might be sad. I know that Terry misses her mom, Joan. it makes sense. I know Amber misses, uh, Dorothy. I know Jack and Amy do but we also know that they're someplace in a much better situation than they could ever be here and that they are with the Father. They are at Jesus' side this moment, and that should be looked at as a blessing. Believers get three things when they die. They get a soul that is perfectly holy. They get carried immediately into glory. And then they are assured of a physical body that, although in the grave today, will be resurrected. Let me try to work around Megadesk here. To die is gain, is what the Apostle Paul said. And he is absolutely right. Many who are unsaved, who look at this life as, "Well, this is all we have, I'm going to YOLO it. And if you thought about it for a moment, you absolutely would not YOLO a life if you really believed that it was all that you had and then there was nothing more. You would, you would be exceedingly careful with it and try to wring out every good thing that came from this life. But for the Christian, to die is gain. We know that to be with the Father is much better than what we experience here even as we sit here together and we fellowship together and we grow together and we experience life together, we know that, that, that what we will experience in what is to come is a much better and more excellent place than what we are experiencing now. Our sanctification that we um, heard Paul preach about a few weeks ago, and he talked about how it's a monergistic work of the Lord, that he works in us sanctification and that we grow in holiness and we shape our lives uh, more into line with that of the Son. And over time, as believers walk with the Lord, they are constantly growing in the sanctification that God is working in them. We see the evidence of it by the good works that they are doing as the outpouring of what God's working on the inside. We know that that work is solely on God. God solely worked it in life and at a believer's death, he solely completes it, okay? You are not here earning sanctification points and that when you earn so many points, you've beat this level and you go to the next level of some cosmic video game. You are sanctified completely 100% when God calls you home to be with him. You didn't earn that. You didn't do any part to make that sanctification part go faster or slower. It was done purely by the Lord's doing. Amen. Uh, People of different levels of sanctification here in life, we see that. So... A new believer is at a much different level of their sanctification than some of our older saints that we've seen. Even some of them that have gone on to be with the Lord. Your sanctification leads to holiness. Your holiness is a fruit of that sanctification. As you grow and you are being worked on by the Lord and he's pruning things out of your life that need to be removed and he's inputting things in your life that need to be added, that sanctification that he's doing is building holiness in you. Most of us should be able to look back at our lives and we should see that God is growing us in different areas. He's smoothing off chips. If you think of your life as a beautiful marble statue, he's taking those files and he's rubbing away chipped pieces that stand out and leaving smooth stone under it earthly, we see that people are at vastly different levels of sanctification. One of those people that I always looked to was Mike Provencia. I know you guys have known him for a long time, probably not as long as me. I've known him since I was five or six. And I can even remember back then when I was little, we would, we were at this church. It was a different church at that point. And, um, him and Nelda, they lived their lives together. And you could just tell that they were working and striving to be obedient to the Lord. I saw that as as just a young child as I was running up and down the pews and being wild and crazy. Mike uh, went on to be my youth leader when I was in high school. So you know he was put through the fiery furnace and had to endure nonsense. And even through that, I never saw him lose his cool. He was always steadfast to the Lord and would always walk me towards that end to grow, to be mature. Uh, Trish and I got married a few years after youth group and he was there and Trish and I both looked at him and Nelda as a model of what we wanted to be. We saw that they were two believers that although they loved each other very much, they loved their Lord even more. And getting to serve with him as a deacon was a double honor as I got to, just got to spend time uh, and work with a guy that I really respected and loved. And now that we see that, that he's no longer here, Nelda remains true. You can see that her faith wasn't built on Mike, but it was built on the Lord. And she continues to be faithful in attendance and service here. But for Mike, his sanctification is done. He gets to be at that point with Jesus he's not striving for holiness anymore he's completely holy now he's completely sanctified when preparing for this lesson i was looking um looking through just asking myself questions writing them down and then seeing what i could Find the answer. And one of the things that I found was very interesting, I thought it was a good illustration. Um, I don't see well, but I like visuals, so that seems kind of crazy. Um, but it was RC Sproul, and he was at a conference, and for some reason, Stephen Lawson was there. And um, RC was talking about this sanctification and how we view it versus the reality of what that sanctification really is. And for his analogy, he had a few of his, um, grandsons or nephews, um, come up on the stage and he had one stand way far to the, to my right. And then he would have the other stand way far to my left. And then he had Stephen Lawson come out and he said, I'm going to have Stephen Lawson play the part of Paul, the apostle, and R.C. went on to explain that he viewed that the Apostle Paul was probably the most sanctified person other than Christ to ever exist. And I can't speak to the veracity of that, but I wouldn't be surprised either. And he said that on one, air, on one hand, on one side of the stage, you looked at one of his relatives and he said, is Hitler. And on the other side, he said, this is Jesus And I'm not going to do this example for you because I think Paul would be mad if I had someone represent the savior in physical form, but I think we can still see, uh, and get the visual. And so he had one on each end and he's walking around with Stephen and he is being, um, he's being funny and humorous while he's teaching his point. He's walking like, where do we, where would we put the apostle Paul on this spectrum Hitler representing the worst of humanity and Jesus representing the Godhead. In terms of sanctification, where would we place the apostle Paul? And as I'm watching, I'm, I, I know there's something up, but I'm not sure. So I'm just gonna go, go with them I'm thinking, okay, I'd probably put him definitely not next to Hitler. I mean, definitely he's gotta be away from that guy. And as he's walking, he's walks Stephen over and then starts to turn and he's walking and stops and walking and stops. And he ends up placing the Apostle Paul shoulder to shoulder with his representation for Hitler. And at one point I thought, okay, I don't, I don't think that works. And he went on to talk about why he did it. To us here, living on this mortal plane, we would look at the Apostle Paul and we would look at a man like Hitler, and we would never in a thousand years put them in the same shoulder to shoulder, same room, anything. They would be so far away from us in our minds of what it means to be sanctified. Um, but to to reality, what really is, R.C. Sproul went on to explain that the reality was that on this side, the apostle Paul was much, much, much closer to Hitler in terms of his sanctification and his holiness than he was to Jesus. He said that the difference between where that, that life of sanctification that Paul, that Paul lived was negligible in moving him away from from Hitler as the token of what is evil to Jesus of, the, of what is good. And he, and, and he said that the moment that Paul passed away or that he was actually executed, he moved not like halfway, he was all the way with Jesus. And it really shows us that when we're here, like we're in the middle of the forest, we can't see all the trees, But being away, we get a good understanding of exactly how far we really are in our sanctification and our holiness. Being here in these bodies that we have, being weighted down by sin, it keeps us from truly seeing how far away we are from being in line with God in in terms of our holiness and our sanctification. Another thing it made me think of was I was driving back from uh, Oregon yesterday. And when you drive from Oregon to California, you've got 11 hours to kind of be with your thoughts or audio book or talking with your spouse in the car. And one of the things I like to do on the phone is I like to look at the different places that we're going. So I like kind of zoom out and see weird names of cities. Like, why was a city named that? And I started playing with zooming in and zooming out. And I thought, oh, I've really zoomed out. We've made some distance until I realized, oh, I had bumped it. And I had to zoom out and see really how far we are from home. And once we saw the whole spectrum, I really realized, oh, we are very, very far. That's what, that's what it's like here. But at the moment of your death as a believer, that chasm that separates us from as far from the east to the west in terms of our sanctification and our holiness is closed by God. He covers that. That's, again, nothing here are, are things that we're doing. We are blessedly along for the ride. And it's the Savior who's doing all of this for us. Every saint called home by the Father is a gift to the son. John ten twenty eight and 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Believer, when you go home to be with the Lord, that is a gift from the father to the son. You are brought to your savior by the Lord. Our second benefit of of death is being being carried into glory, okay? The Lord makes you uh, completely sanctified, completely holy at the moment of your death. He also brings you into glory. Death brings the believer right to heaven and Jesus. To be in glory is to be with God, In heaven, believers really get to see the face of God. This glory is the actual physical presence of Jesus. When you die, you're sanctified. You're completely holy. You get to be in the presence of God. We here on earth don't understand that in the way that we're going to when we get there. We don't, it doesn't make sense to us. It's so far away from where we exist now. But when you pass away and the Lord calls you home, you will get to see, the, you will get to see your savior face to face. You will be able to touch him, hear him, learn from him. There will be no need for images of the son when we're in heaven. He will be there with us. Paul will never have to worry about the image of the son because he will be there. There will be no need for him, for him as as an image. He'll, He'll exist for us, for us to see, for our eyes. Due to Christ's atonement for sin and the father's call to the believer through his spirit, Revelations 4, 5, can speak of us saying that we are blameless, The complete holiness that we receive at our death allows us the to access or the access to see the full glory of Jesus in heaven. We are free from Satan and his demons. Revelations twelve ten for the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Revelations fourteen thirteen also say that we get rest from our labors, no devil and no real rest from our labors. Although that will be cool, but Christian, the best part of heaven is going to be that you get to see the Savior face-to-face. Those things that we feel that are trapping us and, and and pulling us down and keeping us from doing the things that we ought to or making us do the things that we don't wanna do, those things will be put away. And that's gonna be great. Because if you, if you talk to Nick about me, there's times where I come and tell him, I'm ready for this all to be over. <laughs> There's times where you just, I don't want to do this and I do it. Like we see that Paul says the very same thing. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do. But when we get there, all that will go away. And that's going to be amazing. But it's not going to be anything nearly as amazing as getting to see Jesus face to face. To look into the eyes of the, per- of the person who purchased you with his very own blood. That. Is going to be glorious. First Corinthians 13, 12, for we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Even as I have fully even as I have fully been known. What we see here is not the full picture. It's not a clear picture but we know that we're getting the clear picture there. That should excite you. If you're a believer, you should be excited for that. Now me, I see dimly all the time and I'm gonna be doubly stoked when I get to heaven and I get to see fully. That's gonna be amazing, but not nearly as amazing as just getting to be by Jesus' side. That is what you should be looking forward to. Those other things are amazing blessings, but just being in the presence of the Father and seeing the sun, that is glory. Paul goes on later in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. It says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit does a whole lot of work in, in saving us. I talked about that about a month and a half ago. We know that the Holy Spirit is also the guarantee of our salvation, that if we have the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus. We are saved. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So we see that when we are away from our body, we are with the Lord. There is no sort of uh, waiting room or um, other things that are coming. And that brings us to the idea of purgatory. Now, in. in
1: um, sidebar. My keep saying revelations? Yeah. Well, uh, no, I to say <laughs> about that.
0: Did I say revelations? purgatory is something that was created by the Catholic Church. I spent a little time researching and I always feel bad when I start using my YouTube account to go and look up things that I know are nonsense because then YouTube's algorithm thinks that I want more nonsense and it starts feeding it to me and it takes a time of ignoring a whole bunch of stuff for it to get put off the plate. But I think for today's uh, discussion, that it was important to do. And so I was looking it up uh, just to get like a, kind of my mind wrapped around a little bit more fully about what purgatory is in our culture. We understand it to be something people will joke and say, Oh, it's heaven's waiting room. Oh, you just weren't good enough. So you spend a little more time there, but I wanted us to have a good understanding of what it was so that we could talk about it. And so after a little bit of sleuthing, a little bit of watching, um, I, I, I think I have something that kind of gives us enough to understand where the Catholic Church is in error here. The idea of purgatory stands in direct opposition to the Roman Catholic Church's oh, I'm sorry jeez this stands in direct opposition to the Roman Catholic Church's creation of purgatory. The Catholic Catechism states that all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified are indeed still assured of their salvation, but after death undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joys of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. And that's from their, the Catholic Catechism 1030 and 1031. I, th- I used to think that the catechisms were old and stuffy. And the only one I'd ever understood or heard of was a Catholic one. Um, But definitely after Paul's pushing on them on the youth group and understanding that they are just a collection of what a group of people believe and it's laid out and seeing that over the last several months we've been doing this here, I can see how important it is because it tethers us to what reality is of who God is and who we are. And we can see just from that, that the Catholic church is way off base when it comes to this idea of purgatory. Um, the video that I was watching and what I had read had no real tie from the Bible to it, but a lot to their traditions and a lot to the Apocrypha that they added some in, uh, through the Maccabees and stuff. And I hope we can see right off the bat how flawed this is. Because it rises up and smacks down the idea that Jesus is able to save us from every sin and that God is able to purify us of every sin and make us perfectly holy. To the Catholic view, Jesus comes across as a guy who gets you most of the way. And in, in what they might say is that, oh no, he, he does all the saving But in reality, what they're teaching is that we could do it. And that if we didn't do enough here, we still have another shot for those who are elect to be able to get themselves the rest of the way by a little more work. But friends, that's not what the Bible says. If you are saved and you count yourself as one of the redeemed, Christ paid all of your sin for you now. It's bought, it's paid for. You are in his hand. No one can snatch you out of that. You are completely holy um, on the books in God's courtroom. We still sin here, but when that moment comes and God draws us home from this existence, everything's been paid for. You do not have to go and get some sort of extra time like in a soccer game where the 80 minutes is up and then they have the penalty time and it goes for an extra set of time before you're really finished. No, you're done. The saved are with Christ, 100%. The last thing that believers receive is an assurance of a physical resurrection to come. And now you might think that's kind of weird. We get fully sanctified. We are fully holy. We are, in full, we are in with Jesus in full glory. But this last thing is not something that we immediately receive. We don't get our body. And to that, I thought about it and I thought, nah, nah, that's interesting. I wonder why the Lord did it this way. Um, to be assured, we do get a body, okay? Um, for everyone that is in heaven, there is the assurance that God will fulfill what he says. Romans 8, 9, um, Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So when we are in heaven, it is not a purely spiritual thing where we're floating around just above uh, the ground or we have wings like angels as is made popular in movies and um, just the way that that flawed Americans look at um, the afterlife. We are there in spirit, but we are getting a physical body. When Christ comes for his second coming we will receive a physical body. It will be like our body that we have now, elbows, knees, feet, toes, physical, can do things, probably limited, you can't jump as high as I would want to or run as fast as I'd like to, but it is a physical body. But that body is better than what we have now. This body that I have, these bodies that you have are all impacted by sin. You're dying slowly from time because of your sin. That body that gets resurrected is perfect. There's no corruptibility to it. It's impervious to sin. It will be perfect. You will be perfect. We get resurrected bodies because Christ did as well. In uh, Corinthians, Paul's talking Uh, and he's talking about if, if, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then all this is futile. We were, we're the most to be pitied because none of this would be real. We would still have that debt that we owed God, but because Christ was raised from the dead and he told us that, or, and God lets us know that we're also going to be raised from the dead. We can trust in that. When you're in heaven and you're fully sanctified and you're in God's glory, you are going to see you're going to see God with your eyes. Your faith will be made complete. You will be waiting for the Lord to do his to do his will and to work what he wants through history to leading to that day of the second coming. But you're going to see that with 100% certainty. We live here now without that. We, We live by faith alone. We don't see anything that's coming. We're trusting that what God said is true and that God is who He says He is. But when you are in heaven, your faith will be made sight. You will see the Lord. You will be waiting for a body, but you will be with your Lord. There will be no confusion, no moments of doubt. You will see it. Later in that passage in 1 Corinthians, after Paul talks about the fact that if Christ was not raised, that our life is in futility and we are still owing a debt to the Lord, says, but in fact, in 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death by a man has all has come also the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die so also in christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order christ the first fruits then at the coming those who belong to christ and one of the one of the readings i was going through kind of had a a nice analogy and said that Christ is the first fruits and we are the harvest. That Christ is reigning. He's alive. His atonement was accepted. We are um, purchased by his blood. That is all said and done. That's paid for. That's finished. But when he comes for a second coming, we do receive even more blessings. We do get a body that is that is uncorruptible. It is immortal. There is going to be a time when you see Christ face to face, when you are holy and glorified and still get to trust that he will fulfill what what we were told here. We will get a resurrected physical body. Our lives here operate completely on faith. And what Christ said and did is true and real. We have not seen Christ with our eyes and we still trust him. Imagine that time in heaven when we do see him face to face and our faith is made sight. We will have gotten so much of what Jesus promised us. We now get to see him as he fulfills yet another promise to us. This will be a special time where our faith is made perfect and we completely experience Christ fully knowing that... Knowing what he is going to do, everything that he said he would do, Christ promised to us when we were that Christ. Christ's promise to us when we are there will have no shadow of doubt as we experience that here on earth. Help me with my unbelief will not be a sentence that is said in heaven. You get to see your Savior keep His promise to you, not for proof of His goodness. But for, the, but for the joy of his goodness. In conclusion, to the world, death is to be feared. It should be feared by them. But to believers, death should not be looked at with fear. It will be that beautiful day when our eyes will see our savior. Seeing death through that lens allowed so many to come and celebrate that Joan was in fact more alive now than she's ever been. If you're here today and Christ is your savior, rejoice. You will see him when you're called home. If you are not saved and you're here, today is the day of salvation. Repent. Believe. I will take questions now if people have questions or comments. Please.
1: Um, your uh, ear- one of your earlier statements uh, did, so I'll just go by memory here what you said you had said that the the first thing that happens is that you, you see a soul that is holy uh, I think that's the way you put it. So are you saying the soul and by the way that soul happens to be holy? Or are you saying that your soul which you already have becomes holy?
0: The latter. Perfected in his holiness. Yeah, the latter.
2: benefits of like obviously uh, would be heaven is what you're saying, right? And and what we receive you're saying those the benefits would be our glorified bodies?
0: Yeah. You're completely being completely sanctified, holy, being in glory with Christ, and the promise of a physical body to come.
1: Stages uh, of how uh, man relates to sin. Uh, Going back to uh, when Adam was created, he had the total ability to not sin, and after the fall, man totally
0: did not have the ability to not sin. Could only sin. And after salvation, you
1: have the, well, you have the ability to, to not sin. I don't know. Anyway, but glorification, you now do not have the ability to sin.
0: Yes. I, that's what so, I would argue.
1: To me, that's the, Benefit. I, I don't know if anybody else gets weighed down by their sin, but it's just it's really annoying at the very least. And you know, it's just so convicting. And it's—you know—the more sanctified you become, the more you understand God. The you know, the worse your sin, uh, yeah, yeah, bothers you. On one hand, but then after. Paul's talk of, uh, two week, last week, two weeks ago of, um, of your sanctification uh, being monergistic. Um, I should be, uh, I should repent, but I shouldn't worry, maybe. Whereas anyway, where, where I'm going with this is upon glorification, you just don't have to deal with that anymore. It, it just that it releases the the burden of, you know, it's, it's like one of the most stressful aspects of life would be a Christian in sin because you know you shouldn't, and you are, and it hurts.
0: Yeah, and it should anyway, cause you to, to throw yourself back to the Father, to the, the, the Son.
1: I would say that being, like, a huge benefit. I mean, seeing Christ face to face, I don't even I, can comprehend
0: that. I think this was meant by the first part of the answer too. It says the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. Right now, we exists that already not yet tension in which we are repenting of sin. We have the ability to sin and not sin, but as you're saying on um, death and
1: that ability to sin will be away,
0: And that time to come when you know that you can only do what the Father would want you to do and refrain from not doing those things that the Father would not want you to do. Just knowing that that would be automatic is a huge blessing and, and, and freeing. Because you're right. Like, when I sin, I want to go hide <laughs> someplace. I don't want... Like, it draws me to recognize just really 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 just like the sanctification example that RC gave just you're not nearly as far as you think you are and recognizing that should draw you to 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 your knees to pray that God continues to work in you and to thank him for the salvation that he gave you because you couldn't keep it like such a blessing to know that our salvation can't be bought, kept by us. Even our sanctification doesn't happen by us. It happens only by the work of God. That should be a relief to us in one way because we know that if left to our own devices, we could never keep it and maintain it. We would all lose it. As you look through the uh, doctrine of purgatory, did you come across any, like, Catholic? Roman Catholic attempts to justify purgatory as far as like, doesn't it paint a picture of a Jesus who his work is incomplete? You know what I mean? Like how do they justify that? They, they, like what i had seen, they just spoke over it as in, we know that his, we know that his work covers all mortal sin, but then there were all these other things that they just started rattling off. Um, And they were, even to the point where the example in one of the videos was about this man in the 1700s, he's faithful and he goes to mass and he rattles off all the good things that you would think would make him good. And he's like, Oh, but he had slaves and he didn't like black people. What, what happens with that? And the answer should be like, if you're thinking that people, if, if you're in sin by thinking some other race is inferior to you, Christ paid for that sin too. And when you're dead, that sin is still atoned for and you are still in heaven. But they take it to, well, the mortal sins are covered, but all these other things, and you're not totally purified like you need to be to be in heaven because heaven is a place where nothing unclean can be, so you have to do this. But they yeah. set that whole idea that, they brush that aside. They, they say, people will say this, but then they never answer it. Ooh. They just point it out saying, that's not true, and then move on. It seems to cheapen the cross because it makes the cross uh, not totally effective at atoning for the sins of man but then it also seems to downplay the impact of sin because then you're thinking about your sin against a holy and perfect God as only needing a few hundred years of purgatory or yeah. which totally downplays the idea that the gravity of sin and so I think it's doubly dangerous to think about this idea of purgatory and 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 the impact it makes on the other things that are important for us to do properly. It's just another rung in their ladder of flawed theology that leads people straight to hell. Like, their idea of justification is that you need to do some part to cover it. This is just another step of, oh, I need to put my time in, and then I'm good. Well, God should be thanking me because I was doing the time. I just, I mean...
2: Um, where it's talking about rewards and they turn it into complete chaos by shredding the context of rewards. So if you go to First Corinthians 3.15, they'll just extract this from the context. It says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Yeah. So they take that passage and they do violence to it by taking it away from our wars and, you know, the whole smell of smoke on your clothes, I don't, I mean, even that's kind of a stretch, but it's still closer to what purgatory teaches, right? I mean, I think Hebrews 9 was the one that got me that point the time I once and I and after this comes to judgment, right? So I think as most Romanists are um, taught to believe that you yeah, have faith in Christ plus works according to the James Passage that, uh, you know, that Luther called the Straw Epistle. Um, we're it, say, it says we're justified by works, right? Um, but the Roman Catholic doesn't have said these are the works of faith, so that whole doctrine of purgatory its one of those things that, um, you can't, it's the antithesis of your message, you can't receive the benefit of the blessing of a glorified body or any of those things, right? At death, because Still waiting for God to
0: weigh your works. Almost like a Muslim doctrine as well. Faith plus words. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like yeah. Um, yeah, and they and the videos I was watching, they all touched that. They all touched that verse, but they they didn't they didn't spread out to give you a context. They very they used it to touch, and then they moved right into like Second Maccabees, and that's where they camped for a lot of their discussion around it. So I was just like, okay, well, I mean, that's telling to me. Um, I was just going to say along those lines of
2: also been raised, I guess, a Catholic, that um, the other thing that really does the service to Christ is that you go to confession to a priest, and then they give you your penance, which is five hill Marys or ten Our Fathers, and then you go and you say those things, and that's supposed to be... What
0: takes your eyes really off Christ and onto your yeah, work, yeah. So, when I really heard the good news and uh saw it, that was just such a good news because it didn't make sense to, have to do that, yeah. So, anyway, yeah, and it doesn't. I mean, it just, I mean, it's top to bottom, it's broken.
1: So we have, Don't we all feel like sometimes that
0: we have to do something? Yeah. Right. We have that, I think we have that ingrained in our And whether we realize it's wrong or not, I think we all have that, that feeling deep inside of, oh gosh, I have to do something. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I feel that when, when I sin, I feel like I've got to do something because if I do this, it'll offset the fact that I, 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 I sinned against God, I displeased him. But if I do this, then I'm making up for it. And really, no, that's just doubling down on sin. What you should do is repent and throw yourself on the cross because even that sin that you're, that you're doing in that moment is paid for if you're saved. I didn't say that. (laughs) Oh, am I saying that you could believe believe in purgatory and be saved? Oh, I, I would, I would be super nervous if somebody asked that question, if they were really struggling with that. And I would, I would move further back from that. And I would ask how are, how is somebody saved? And, and, and I would go from there because if they're thinking that purgatory in some way does help save you because you need to finish off the stuff, I mean, that's like five steps down the path of like, there's problems further upstream and I would, that's where I would go.
2: So your you know your priest doesn't teach it they'll say I don't care what my priest teaches that's what I believe. I said well you should just get out of here Thank Yeah yeah know.
0: yeah go you know? get so, flee.
2: But I think too uh, I remember when I learned this in, in um, after I left you know Rome my wife and I started going different to heritage and we went to a couple we went to a different church, a couple of different churches. But um Jerome had a, a translation, I can't remember if it was a Vulgate Pastor Paul might know about it, but and man, it just was used to damn so many souls. It was actually translated not repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but like um, it was do your repentance instead of like. Um, but it was just when I read that, it, it sunk my heart to think that people actually got the wrong message from a poor translation. For sure. And how many people are that confused because, because if you have to do something, You know, you even hear this creep in the churches. I I meant to tell Nick. There was a message I sent him about John MacArthur, about lying. And I was really uncomfortable with some of the things he said about lying, right? When when we repent, we have to be very clear that it's a giving up. It's a turning from all our hope and putting our weight and our trust on Christ. It's not turned from every known sin, (laughs) Are turned from this sin, and then God will save you. That's, I think, in a lot of Christian circles that it's thrown around. And it's almost no different than do your penance and believe. You know, so we got to be really careful that we understand the doctrine of repentance.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's so many areas that you can just get in the ditch. Like, your, your joy is robbed because, well, I have to pay for something that is impossible for me to pay. Like... You can't do it. Or, well, now God kind of owes me a little bit because I'm doing it. So give me a little bit of my glory because I'm doing it. And that feeds in our pride. We want to do that. And the cross is the antithesis of that. It's you cannot do it. You never can do it. You can't maintain it. You can't even grow in it because you can't. And I think... Jeff
2: said, right? I mean, isn't there something in us that wants to contribute? I mean... We don't do anything
0: to add to the work of the It's my pride. I want to feel like I'm in control. Like most teachers are control freaks. And I like control. If Trish if if you ask Trish, she'll tell you, I want to be in charge of everything at all the time with all of the power to do everything. Just without a doubt. But that is my pride wanting to be the master of my life. And to the saved that that's no, that's wrong. Like Christ is that. And when that comes up, we've got to we've got to crucify that. That has to go down. Anybody else? All right. Well, in conclusion, I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we can fellowship and talk. Are you cool with that? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Um, thank you for your uh, once again opening our eyes to just. How much we 're dependent on you, um, our salvation comes from you, our sanctification, our glorification, our resurrected bodies, all done only by you, Father, Father, keep us safe this week as we go out lord um, give us give us hearts of joy to see that you 're a God of promises, and they 're not broken. Father, we thank you for so much. Um, draw us back here on Sunday, Lord uh, to hear another message, Father. We thank you for so much. Amen.